As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're kind of going through a series uh, which is entitled The Bride. Uh, it's a look at what it means to be a church. Uh, we've been going through this. Uh, we've had two or three weeks already. Uh, we've got this week and next week. Uh, kind of connected uh, to the, the rollout of, of more formal membership within Mercy Hill Church. Uh, but also kind of taking a look at um, if we are a church that gathers, if, if we are here to be the body of Christ, to, to be his representatives, to, to do the work that he's called us to do here and now uh, in our lives, what is that supposed to look like? And there's a lot of different things that we look at within Scripture and we can get really protective of uh, within society and this is right and this is wrong, but, but not very often do we actually take a look at what does it mean to be a church? What's the structure of a church? What, what does it mean to be a, a member or part of the body uh, of Christ? And so this series is, is kind of diving into that. We've been going a lot through Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be continuing that today in chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to make your way to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we'll also have the verses up on the screen, or most of the verses up on the screen uh, this morning as well. And uh, we're all looking what it means to be a church prepared for the, the, um, the wedding uh, with Christ uh, in that. So when he comes back, uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you uh, again for your holy word that's alive and active. Uh, it's a two-edged sword that cleaves down to bone and marrow to the very deepest parts of us, uh, Lord, that it is new and refreshing to us uh, every time that we look at it. We pray that you would guide us here this morning. Uh, I ask for your strength and ability to point simply to you uh, and not any of man's wisdom uh, in this. And as a church, we just choose to submit to what you have uh, for us today. Um, and in being a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 1, uh, we're looking at the church being unified. And this is something Christian kind of talked about a little bit last week, uh, about the church being unified in humility, or in that sense of uh, considering each other's needs as greater than our own, to, to set aside differences, to, to be able to be forgiveness, to, um, to be forgiving, uh, to receive forgiveness, uh, to not offend one another. All those things are aspects uh, of unity and, and needing humility humility in that, uh, here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is also talking about this unity. It says, therefore, the as a I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And so again, this sense of, of unity that was purchased by Christ at the cross, by his blood, uh, is something that's far deeper than I think we necessarily uh, consider often. Uh, this passage, as we take a look at it, even has this verse where it says, I urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, a lot of times we take a look at that particular passage, and our mind automatically goes to, like, oh, living holy, living righteously, doing the things that we're supposed to do and not doing the things that we're not supposed to do. 
There's other passages that talk about living holy. There's other passages that talk about living out the fruit of the Spirit and uh, putting to death the things of the body, to, to live out of the new man and to let the old one pass away. There's other passages that do deal with this. This verse, though, when it's saying, live a life worthy of the calling you have received, is specifically about unity. Coming up to this point in the passage throughout the entire book of Ephesians, he starts off in chapter 1, and he's talking about how we're saved by Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, even though we don't deserve it. Ephesians chapter 2 brings it out in a beautiful way that we're saved by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2 continues on to, to address Jews and Gentiles and saying you were so far separated that there was a wall of hostility between you. And there actually was like this physical wall within the courtyard of the temple area that separated where Jews could go and Gentiles had to stay. And there was inscriptions on this wall that said if you're a Gentile and you go past this, your, your own death is on your own head. It's your own fault. There was such hostility between that. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is showing how Jesus Christ died in order to take the two, the Gentiles and the Jews, and to make them one new man out of two very, very different cultures, where their identity was found simply in Jesus, that their unification was simply in Jesus, and everything else was meant to fade away. Ephesians chapter 3, he goes in to begin talking about God's wisdom, his manifold wisdom is revealed through the church to the world around us. Like, like this is God's design. Jesus says it's better for you to go because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit doesn't come. And if I don't go, then the church can't walk in the fullness of its identity that Jesus died in order to give it. Ephesians chapter uh, 1, 2, and 3 has all been leading up into this sense of who you are in Jesus, but not just as individuals, but who you are as a gathered people together in order to be the body of Christ. That all culminates here in chapter 4. Again, therefore, I urge you to live life worthy of this calling to be the body of Christ. Of this calling to be in unity. Of this calling to have this identity in Jesus setting aside small and large differences in order to be that body. That's why he says, with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The life worthy of the calling is a life of unity. It's a life of humility. It's a life of submitted to one another. It's a life of truly being what the church is. And so this is the, the gift that's given and the importance of this whole thing. You're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What draws us all together is something that is supernatural. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that should wash away every conflict. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that there's not going to be conflict. Because we're humans. We're people. We offend one another. We make mistakes. We get angry. We respond out of that anger. We're hurt. We respond out of the hurt. We get irritated. We respond out of irritation or impatience or having a bad day or not feeling well or any number of different things. Like, like we're going to butt heads with one another at times. But when I say that Jesus' blood should wash all of that away, what, what I mean by that is 
if we have a right understanding of what it means to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to be unified the way that Ephesians has said that we are unified, when I have a problem or a difference or a disagreement or an offense with a brother or sister who I am unified to this extent with, then I seek reconciliation. And it doesn't mean 100% carbon copy agreement on every single thing. But what it means is, they are my brother or sister in Jesus. He died to bring us together for a reason and for a purpose. And it's not just to cease conflict between us, but, but rather, he has a design and a purpose for us to be brothers and sisters. Do you remember how he said that we will be known to follow him? By our love for one another. By the way that we interact, that we move forward and through things with Jesus Christ. The way that we're living together and caring for one another. And so because of all of this, we have a power that's anchored in heaven that helps us to work through whatever we might face here and now in conflicts between us. And that there's nothing that Jesus isn't strong enough to work in for the good of those who love him, according to Romans chapter 8. So he's talking about this, and this is the unity you have, the, the purpose of being together. And now he gives some structure to it in verse 7. So again, here's this unity, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father is through all, above all, and in all. This absolute unity, verse 7. Now, grace was given each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. And so he's talking about this supernatural grace unity through the blood of Christ, something supernaturally given to us as a gift from Jesus as part of his death and our salvation. We're given this gift. And now in verse 7, he begins to put some structure into this, uh, saying, again, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, uh, but what are they supposed to do? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We've talked about this before, but I, I just want to put a little bit more detail on this this morning. The, the saints are all of us who have salvation in Jesus Christ. That word saint uh, is shown in a couple of different passages. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified. So sanctified is the Greek word hagiazo, uh, which is those who are saved, those who are sanctified, those that are made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit. So those who are sanctified, hagiazo, in Christ Jesus, who are called to be saints. This is the Greek word hagias. Again, that same root together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So again, Scripture clearly shows again and again that those who are saints are, are those who have been made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit through salvation. So in other words, if you consider Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you've submitted to him fully in your life as Lord, if he's adopted you as a son or daughter, if you are redeemed, you are a saint. God calls you 
a saint. Now, we disagree with that when we wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we think on our life. But our disagreement with that doesn't make it true. What it makes it is a lofty opinion lifted up against the truth of God. We talked about we need to tear those things down and take every thought captive according to Christ. The truth is, if you're in Christ, you are considered by him to be a holy one, to be a saint. And if that's the case, what we see then in Ephesians chapter 4 is that you are to be equipped for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now the question in that now becomes, uh, do we live that way? First of all, do we consider ourselves to be a saint, to, to, to be a holy one? And if that's the case, then do we live a life uh, where we actually look at living out as a holy one, uh, doing ministry, doing the work of ministry? Because we look at our um, culture of compartmentalized Christianity in our society, uh, a lot of church is Sunday morning. Come on Sunday morning, check off the box. It's the gas station, you know, where we fill up our tank for the rest of the week so that we can go back to our jobs, go back to our family, kind of refreshed, and, and now we're able to get through the week uh, until we need to fill up our tank again. And, and we can live our life in that cycle over and over. But that's not the life of a holy one. That's not the life of living a life of ministry. We can do that with church on Sundays. We can do that with our devotionals. We can do that with prayer requests that are simply 911 calls to God in times when we don't know what else to do. We reach the end of our strength. We reach the end of our wisdom. We reach the end of our rope. And, and God, would you help me in this situation? And then as soon as that might resolve, we continue on until we find ourselves in a similar situation. Again, not living uh, as a holy one. Many different things. We can do church events. We can have a, a life of Christian busyness. But is it still living life as a holy one called to a life of ministry? There's so much that happens uh, in life and in being a church. Uh, just within our own body, we have people that are ill. We have marriages that need God to be working within this. There's financial issues and stress that people face. There's conflicts with others. There are some that are trapped by ongoing sin. There's so many different things, personal struggles, depression, um, loneliness. The list could go on and on and on of the different things that people struggle with within the church. And, and so life as the body of Christ is meant to minister and involve all of these things. No one within the church should feel alone, but rather the sense of being able to, to minister to one another. Now the sense of ministry too, to, to clarify, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean everybody needs to be a pastor. Everyone needs to lead a Bible study. Everyone needs to have like the right thing from Scripture at the right moment. It, it doesn't mean that at all because when you look at Scripture itself in Acts and the instigation of the group called deacons, do you remember why deacons were initiated in the first place? Waiting tables. There was a food issue with logistics within the church. And some widows weren't being taken care of. And so the elders of the church said, we need help with this. We need people who are full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit in order to help and in order to minister to people. And in that ministering, it was, can you help with food? 
Can you help wait tables? And so deacons were instigated within the church, and many different things happened within that. So, so ministry uh, is involving both physical and spiritual needs. It's involving things that really need God to work in miracles, and it includes setting up the chairs in this room or being part of a meal train when somebody is sick or has a baby. It could be helping out with food. It could be helping out with finances. It could be helping out with acts of service. It could be helping to install a dryer in somebody's home. It could be snow shoveling. It could be a phone call in the middle of the week that just says, how are you doing? I feel led to pray for you. That's living a life of ministry. That's living a life of, of looking to be a member of the body of Christ, concerned and caring for one another as brothers and sisters. Why? Because we're unified. We're unified by the blood of Christ so, so that your health and well-being, both physically and spiritually, is of such importance to me because we're so unified. That's the driving force behind all of this. It's not just like, oh, this is my responsibility or this is an obligation in order to do this. But, but it comes out of a life of caring for one another in the sense of unity in what Jesus has died for us to be. We're called to depth of life together as members of the body of Christ. Verse 12 continues on to, to equip the saints, which again is everyone. It's you. If you are here and saved in Jesus, you are the saint meant to be equipped for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. Do you see here the result of the saints doing the work of ministry? By saints doing the work of ministry, the whole body is joined and held together by every joint, by every member, by every purpose, person which it is equipped and it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A, a church will not be healthy. A church will not grow if it is built upon the model of the pastor needs to be doing all the ministry. If it's built on the staff or the ones that need to be serving. If it's built on the, the concept of the church, we pay money so that people can do ministry and I can come and fill up my spiritual gas tank every Sunday. If that is the culture of a church, it will be an anemic church. It will be a weak church and it will be a sick church. And it might feel fine according to cultural Christianity standards. There might be a great children's group. There might be a great teen group. There might be a lot of attendance. But the depth of unity and service to one another is missing. And it's that depth of unity and service to one another that actually causes the body to grow and build itself up in love. 
The growth that this is talking about is not numerical. It is not numbers. It's not having the biggest church. The growth that this is talking about here is spiritual health in caring for one another, in ministering to one another. Now, the reason I say spiritual health here comes out very specifically because it says, equip the saints, verse 12 again, for the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Now, this mature manhood uh, and the fullness uh, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ, it uses the Greek word teleos, which means completion or perfection, or, or absolute fullness. It would be the, the glass that's filled to the brim so that the meniscus of water is actually over the surface of the glass and just being held there by the surface tension. That measure of fullness is what happens as we build one another up. But here's what it comes into spiritual health in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. A church where the members are doing the work of ministry. And again, doing the work of the ministry isn't everybody up here preaching. It's not leading a small group. It could be waiting on tables, meal trains, shoveling snow, phone calls in the middle of the week, but it's the mindset of service. It's the mindset of of ministering to one another because of the unity. It, It is that mindset and heart attitude of because we're so unified that I want to serve my brothers and sisters. It is that mentality that actually offers spiritual protection from every wind of doctrine, human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. By doing work of ministry, you are spiritually strengthened to a point where you're able to resist the schemes of our enemy, the devil, who tries to lead us into temptation or cause us to be distracted by this world. By doing the work of ministry and ministering to one another within the body of Christ, you become to a point of spiritual health where where human cunning and anything that the media might throw at us with twisted schemes will not affect us because we've been built up in maturity to the fullness of Christ. By doing ministry. This is why I say a church that doesn't have this mentality is anemic. A church that doesn't have this is spiritually weak. It is open to the attack of the enemy. Because the defense comes into this is because we are no longer children. We build up and do the work of ministry so that we may no longer be children. It is cause and effect here. We find strength and protection in the work of ministry to one another. Now what this really boils down to, I believe, uh, is protection in ministry is really protection in purpose. We go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and this is one that I didn't uh, think to put in, um, and it just popped up this morning. So uh, your phones or your Bibles, it won't be on the screen here, but Ephesians chapter 2 uh, in verse 10, and I already quoted some of it, where it, verse 8, where it says, you're saved by grace through faith, not by ourselves, not from works so that no one can boast. But then here it says in verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. 
So we're not saved by works. We can't earn salvation by doing good things. Very clear within this passage. But also very clear within this passage is that we find salvation through grace and the mercy of God. Not anything that we have done just completely what Christ did on the cross. But in that salvation, we then also find that we are his workmanship. That we are his masterpiece. That he is built together. That he is formed and knitted within our mother's wombs created in Christ Jesus for good works, for ministry, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is the purpose that God has given to us. Our life before Christ was was just following our every whim and desire and trying to build our lives the best that we could and, and making the choices that we think was right. But we come to the point of salvation and trusting Jesus Christ uh, as our Lord and Savior. What we do essentially is, is offer uh, all of our human potential, all of our ability and what we think we could do within our own perfect minds and our own perfect bodies. And we set it upon the altar and say, God, I don't want to do what I want to with this. It's here for you to use as you see fit, and I trust that you will do so much more than I ever could do in my own strength. And in that point of salvation, he says, you're my son, you're my daughter, I'm adopting you into my family, forgiving you, washing you as as white as snow, And, and guess what? I've had something for you the whole time. Let's walk together and figure out what that is as we go forward. There is a purpose that was given to us, prepared ahead of time for us to do in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. We have a purpose given to us by God. And it's walking within that purpose that we actually find protection. Because we're living out of the identity that God has given to us. We're busy about the things that God has given to us to do. When do we find ourselves in the most trouble? When we walk away or ignore our purpose, we become idle. We start to try and control our lives again to make decisions based on, on our own wisdom and our own understanding. We, we start to not trust as much. It's, it's all of those things that we start to be able to, to, to be tossed around by every wind and cunning doctrine and humankind. It's living in our purpose, focused on our identity, doing the work of ministry that God has given us to do that we actually find protection. And strengthening, both in our faith, but also because our life is focused on what God is calling us to do. I can tell you this. I've been doing uh, some aspect of, of ministry since 2004, and, and my math isn't working quite right right now. Um, how many years is it? 19 years? And the times that I have been intentionally engaged in ministry have been the times that that helped me to just hold to a path when when things get scary. Because there's a purpose. There's something to focus on. There's something that needs to be accomplished. But also I can tell you that, that through doing ministry and through praying with one another, and not all of these things are within the role of, of being a pastor. Some of these things are, are without any role within a church whatsoever. But, but being able to pray with people and see God work in their lives strengthens my faith. 
To see God heal people strengthens my faith for him to, to heal. To, to see marriages restored strengthens my faith for my own marriage and trusting on him in it. It's being connected to what God is doing on earth that helps strengthen our faith because we're engaged in that business instead of sitting back and watching it happen out there. We're actually engaged within it. And as we're engaged within it, it, it strengthens us and helps us to, to hold to that path and to increase our trust in him. Now, this is a journey that it's not like, all right, we're arrived. And now we're all, you know, super Christians that can just trust God at the drop of a hat. But, but it is a path that continues on until we all attain to the unity of the faith in verse 13. To the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. It is this ongoing journey that we're called to go through together so that if one of us becomes distracted, there's another one that is linked arms with us that says, all right, let's just keep going. Let's do this together. The focus of unity protects us. Again, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And, and so, again, the question is, how are we doing at that? If, if we are called to be ministers of the gospel and we look at all the different needs around us and then we ask ourselves, how are we doing this? Do I, do I have a heart set, um, a mindset of, of ministering to one another? The question then comes down to, in verse 14, like if we have that mindset, we're protected from these things. We're protected from uh, every wind of doctrine. We're protected from human cunning. We're protected from craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so now the question becomes, within our own life and as a church, uh, how does the protection look? In your own life, in my life, in your marriage, in your jobs, in your relationships, in your brokenness. Do you sense that protection? Do you sense that strength in your life, that, that anchoring in purpose that helps you to weather through that storm and continue on in peace in Christ? Or do you sense yourself in some of these situations a storm spurring on all around you and you feel buffeted back and forth by those winds? Again, that may point to, are you anchored in purpose? Are you anchored in peace? Doing the work of the ministry results in the protection from those things. Verse 15, we're to speak the truth in love, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the church in these passages that, that I long to be fully in and I'm grateful that I am partially in. I don't know how else to say it besides that. I think I look at these things and there's such a unity within these passages. There's such a beauty, such a reliance upon Christ, such a trust in him that um, the church itself is not shaken by politics. It's not shaken by conflict. It's not shaken by 
the world around us, by media, that there is no foothold or cranny for the enemy to come in to cause division. I see a, a beautiful church that is the body of Christ within these passages. And, and I long to be fully walking in that. And I know by the power of the Holy Spirit that that can happen. And I also say that I am grateful that I'm walking partially in a church like this. Because I've seen this happen. I've seen people care for those who are sick. I've seen people who are ill within our church have people rally around them and, and to care for with food and prayers. We've seen people healed. We've seen relationships be restored by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen God work within marriages. We've seen sin be cast off. We've seen God do so many amazing and wonderful and powerful things. And the only reason that I say that I'm partially in a church like this is because, again, the language here is that we continue to build one another up in love, reaching the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, does anybody want here want to make the claim that we're already at the fullness of Jesus Christ and we don't have any work to do yet? I don't want to make that claim either. And so I am grateful to be part of a church that has been working on this, that will be working on this, and that we see wonderful glimpses of it. But I also don't want to be arrogant and prideful and, and not acknowledge that there's areas where we need to work on. There's areas that we need to mature in as a church. And one of the areas that we need to mature in is this concept of everybody is meant to do ministry. Again, not from the pulpit, but rather from a sense of a heart of how can I serve my brother and sister. It's the, the heart of, of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, it's not on the screen here this morning, but uh, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any unity with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who had the existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but took on the form of a servant and came and served us. This is the example that Jesus set for us, to serve one another. Despite our brokenness, to still faithfully serve where God has equipped and gifted us. I mean, sometimes we're the ones that are be serving and ministering, and at times we're the ones that need to be ministered to. By doing this, God will use us to build up his church, to make it grow, to be a place to heal the brokenhearted, a place that proclaims mercy and the grace of Christ, to be a place where we glorify his name, to be a place that it's not because of our own power or our own wisdom, but rather because God is at work. To, to be a place where people can look at and say, we know that you love Jesus because of the love that you have amongst yourselves. That you trust him to do the work. That there is a unity that is anchored in the blood of Christ that works through conflict. If we do this, we will mature to the fullness of Jesus Christ as a bride prepared for the groom. 
for the wedding feast when he returns. That we might add more to us. That we might grow numerically because we've grown in spiritual health. That's the only reason I want to grow. I don't even want to grow numerically unless we're spiritually healthy. I want that other growth to happen because we're spiritually healthy and other people want to come and be a part of that. So the question is, if you're in Christ, where can you serve? Where can you help? Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's some guidance within Scripture. If you need help and you want to go on a journey through figuring out that sense of purpose, let us know. We want to work through discipleship with that as well. But we want to be a church that ministers to one another in the beautiful picture of what the bride actually is. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for this picture of the church um, that is your design and your intent. That we'd be so unified by the blood of Christ that it would be a protection to us from anything that this world can offer or throw at us. That there would be no footholds for our enemy. Lord, I thank you that you show how, us how that unity uh, is even possible, first and foremost, by your blood. And that is the only power that we can rely upon to make this happen. But also in that, the purpose that you gave us. The purpose to live with a sense of ministry to one another through that unity. And acts of service, uh, both great and small but done anchored in you and with you and through you and in you, in unity with you and with one another, so that we might live out what you prayed for us in John chapter 17, that we'd be so unified that we are in you and you are in us and we are in the Father and we are in one another. That our brothers and sisters here would be the, the closest and strongest relationship that we have this side of heaven. Because you paid for it to be that way. Help us to realize this truth and then be willing to live it out on purpose, protected by your blood and by the purpose that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.